Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world who knows that Lance Lynn is the real home run king. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. It's not about how many you hit. It's how many you allow. Yeah, because, you know, Lance Lynn, he and by the way, Lance Lynn, uh, who we'll talk about a little bit later on, uh, potentially for the good, the bad, the ugly, I guess your introduction Makes me wonder whether it should be good, should be bad, or should be ugly. <laughs> but we will get to all that because it is Friday. It is September 8th. It is my brother's birthday. It is a year out from your wedding, Jake Mintz. Very exciting stuff. Uh, and it's Friday. It's Friday. So we are going to do a podcast because that's what we do. We're going to talk about the Braves and Dodgers getting right last night with some solid angry wins. David Stearns, ever heard of him? He's actually been the Mets president of baseball operations in spirit and headlines for multiple years now. But it seems he like signed Bobby Bonilla, I believe he <laughs> right. That was a David Stearns original. Uh, we're going to talk about the latest from him. Why the Steven Strasburg update is probably not actually that important. Some assorted thoughts from the yard. Tales from the yard. We were both at the ballpark this week a few times. Got some call-ups. Jordan Lawler, who we had on this podcast earlier this summer. Evan Carter coming up for Texas. And of course, as I mentioned, we will do more from the good, the bad, and the ugly of the week. But before we begin, a couple housekeeping items. First housekeeping item, Jordan, I'm in a bad mood. Mm. Okay. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. Now, I'm usually a toxically positive kind of guy, but I'm going to fight through my rare bout of negativity and deliver an unrivaled <laughs> podcast this morning. I appreciate the transparency because in the version where it's like, oh, Jake sounded kind of off and you're just wondering, like, does Jake just not care anymore? Like, no, no, no. He's just having a shitty day. It's okay. I care too much. Um, there's construction outside my window mm -hmm. of my apartment. You mm -hmm. know, some days you just don't have your best stuff. Yeah. Okay. And that's what I'm working with today. So if everyone would give me like a little grace period, right? Yeah. We're not always locked in and that's okay. Other housekeeping item. Mm -hmm. Merch. Merch, baby. If you want to buy merch with our logo on it, you can do that. It's in the description mm -hmm. of the podcast. If you have ideas for merch, if you're like, boy, I like the logo. I like these guys. I want to get some merch, but I hate all these designs. Email us. Maybe we yes. can make it happen. Baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's not like a direct we take request, but we do appreciate the suggestions. We are uh, working on coming up with some new designs. So podswag.com slash baseball. You can find 
uh, all the merch you heart could ever desire. You could also email us about other things. As we mentioned, had a great mailbag uh, at the start of the week and we think you will. Uh, we would love to keep reading more of those as the postseason nears. But Jake, let's begin in the ATL where the Braves last night playing against Adam Wainwright. Adam Wainwright, one of the stories of this final month, is trying to get to 200 career wins. It's an amazing career. Whether he gets there or not does not diminish anything. But we watched Adam Wainwright do something last night that in the year 2023 defies so much about what we understand in baseball, Jake. And that is face Ronald Acuna Jr. four times. Do you know how rare it is to watch any even good starting pitchers face good hitters a fourth time in a game? I could have come up with, you know, some some examples. Like even the third time now is like, oh boy, like how is he gonna get him out this time? To watch him face Acuna a fourth time in this game told us a lot about kind of how Ollie's just like, Adam, go get him. Go get him, man. It's the last time you're gonna pitch in your home state of Georgia. Just go do your best. And he allowed two home runs. <laughs> Adam Wainwright at this stage facing Ronald Acuna, the probable NL MVP. It is an escape room with no door. It is a puzzle with no answer. It is Adam Wainwright going into his quiver and pulling out every arrow he has. And none of them are sharp. It is sad. It is hilarious. <laughs> It is compelling. I was significantly more entertained watching Adam Wainwright try and get Acuna out than any of the other baseball I watched last night. Yeah. It was pretty incredible to see. Here's the comp I'm going to make for particularly the first pitch of the game, Jake. It really took me back to one specific home run, which I believe has come up on this podcast before. Now, while the leverage is not quite the same. I wonder if it reminds you of the same thing. And maybe this is disrespectful to Adam Wainwright to the degree that I am comparing this home run. But I have to say, man, it reminded me of Jamie Moyer against John Carlos Stanton. Hmm. Now, I know Adam Wainwright is like 10 years younger than Jamie Moyer was. and eh, Maybe like eight years younger. I don't know. Anyway, when Jamie Moyer allowed a grand slam to John Carlos Stanton, uh, but in the same sense of like, oh no, like this is going to be hit so hard. And to see a fastball come in there. Now the, the Wainwright one was 86. I think the Moyer one was like maybe a chain. I don't even know. It was like 80 miles an hour right down the middle. If you haven't seen this home run, I mean, this was like 2012, I think, um, that John Carlos Tan hit and like broke the scoreboard and left uh, in Miami. That, that was this. And I understand that like I, whenever you see a home run on the first pitch of the game, you think, oh, wow, what a, what a dumb pitcher. Why didn't he – why did he throw it down the middle? Why doesn't he throw an off-speed pitch? You know, it's, it's not like he's, you know, giving up the game by going outside with the first pitch of the game. But, you know, pitchers like to start with strike one. But when Wainwright's, you know, chucking it in there at 86, like, you know Acuna, who at this point – you mentioned probable NL MVP. The other thing that happened last night is that Mookie Betts got hurt, and we'll see his status um, coming out of that Dodgers game. But the point is, is that Ronald is going for 
historic season, no matter what, whether he's winning the MVP or not, right? He is going to try and get to 40, 40, 40, 70, 40, 80, 50, 100, who knows, right? These last few months. And so he obviously is going into this game thinking, I can hit some home runs tonight, undeniably. And why would he wait around when he was going to get 86 down the middle? That might have been a better pitch to hit out than anything he even saw in batting practice, and he showed that. So I am on a website right now called Baseball Savant, which has all of the answers you'd ever want to know about our lovely, wonderful sport. And here is what I have learned, Jordan. Last night, the first pitch of the game, the 85.6-mile-an-hour fastball from Adam Wainwright to Ronald Acuna, is the single slowest fastball that Ronald Acuna has ever seen from a right-handed pitcher. The single slowest fastball he has ever seen from a right-handed pitcher in his MLB career. Not this season, in his MLB career. The only pitches slower are Brent Suter, Rich Hill. lefty. Not Rich Hill. Not even Rich Hill. Okay, wow. Not even Rich Hill. Granky. Brent Suter, Tommy Malone, and Jason Vargas are the <laughs> only people to throw fastball slower to Ronald Acuna than what happened last night. And none of those, I believe, were, were the were first. rocketed 116 over the center field fence. <laughs> Maybe they That were. is true. Now, uh, the closest comparison, Jason Vargas actually threw Ronald Acuna an 85.3 mile an hour fastball mm -hmm. for the first pitch of a game back in 2018 mm -hmm. that Ronald hit 100 miles an hour off the bat right at Brandon Nimmo in center field. So mm. there he is was some like, I ain't letting here. this go by again. No chance. Right. But that is what I want people to understand from this moment. Okay. It is genuinely singular. <laughs> Ronald Acuna, who is like the most talented baseball player on the planet, has never seen a pitch this slow from a righty ever in, in the big league. In the maybe, big league. yeah, maybe, maybe when he minors. was like thirteen, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And I love that. It's funny to think like, oh, he was ready for it, <laughs> because usually when a hitter is ready for it, quote unquote, ready for a fastball, they're cheating to it. Right. They're like, oh, it's going to come in at 86, at 96, 97. I got to get the barrel out in front. And catch. This was not that. This was, oh, more batting practice. Thank yeah. You. And that's a, that's a different version. Like, I remember when Julio Rodriguez uh, hit a homer off Carlos Hernandez, who came into the game in the eighth inning and it was a high leverage spot. And he throws 98 in on the hands. But Julio was like, well, he's bringing a fastball. Like, I am going to be ready for this no matter what. But it's still 98 on the hands. You have to connect. This was being ready for it. And also, as you mentioned, it probably looked like it was in slow motion. Now, again, when that's how the game begins, you're like, oh, no. Like, the Wainwright, we'll see if he can get through, you know, one or two innings here. And he just kind of battles. He gets Acuna out throwing the same fastball a little bit more inside. He grounds out in the second at-bat. And then when he faced him a third time, with the game still, like, kind of close. So, credit to Wainwright for hanging in there. He he throws a... a curveball on the outer half like a perfectly executed pitch that Acuna rockets the center Tommy Edmund makes an amazing catch right in front of the wall it's like holy shit he throws him the exact same pitch in the fourth at bat and Ronald just hits it a little bit farther to the same exact spot <laughs> and they cut to Wainwright and he's just like wow it's like yeah but also 
oh my God, you just had to face him for a fourth time. How many how many pitchers this year face Acuna for a fourth time? That's the thing I will I will look up after this podcast because that just feels like it's not something we should be letting anybody do, let alone Wainwright. That is a very good point. It was David versus Goliath if Goliath won and David was 41 years old is how I would describe it. Now, I would like to talk about Wainwright specifically for a moment. We can make all these jokes, but he is choosing to go out there. Now, he does not have a lot of other good choices, to be clear. He's not just going to peace out on September 8th. But for a guy with such a legendary career to want to fight for his 200th win, I totally understand that. It reminds me, and maybe this is an out-of-pocket comparison. It reminds me of when Don Zimmer charged Pedro Martinez. Okay, (laughs) If the old man wants the smoke, you have to treat him like anybody else. Mm, that's good. <laughs> right that is the a good i do like that phrasing although i if, still am not sure that's an entirely appropriate if, if you're gonna hop in the ring past your prime you have to be ready if a young buck hits you in the kisser now again does does he need to get 200 wins for us to consider no of course not it's not that important it's but it's important to him it's clearly important to him it's clearly important to the cardinals whatever they I like, go, well, I like, well, yeah. hold up. I like the idea that there is a Cardinals fan out there who's like, I will not respect Adam Wainwright <laughs> unless he gets to 200 wins. So just looking ahead, uh, they're in Cincy this weekend where he obviously won't pitch, which is good because he hates that place at Baltimore next week. So that's not ideal. Home for Milwaukee and Mil- uh, home for Philly and Milwaukee, then at San Diego and Milwaukee, and then they finish at home against Cincinnati. So Again, it's gonna to me. I think I said this before. It's gonna have to be uh, those Milwaukee, those Milwaukee games uh, in terms of offenses that he's gonna be able to to sit down. I think that's gonna be the move. The real question is, do the Cardinals get two more wins? <laughs> hey, their offense is freaking swinging it, dude. They, this lineup is like finally starting to look like the one that I thought could have been the best in baseball before this season. So I uh, a little too late uh, for that, but I, I I think they will. I think they'll win some games. Enough talking about pushing Grandpa down a flight of stairs. Let's chat about David Stearns, Jordan Schusterman. Who is David Stearns? David Stearns has been uh, the head baseball decider in Milwaukee since, I think, 2015. He is younger than Adam Wainwright. He is younger than Adam Wainwright. That is true. I would like to see David Stearns uh, get up there on the hill and and face Acuna four times. Um, But David Stearns, who, yes, is indeed uh, still just 38 years old, has been with Milwaukee since 2015. He had come over there uh, from Houston. He'd worked for, of course, a bunch of teams. But David Stearns has kind of, with his success in Milwaukee, now you might argue we can get to this, what success in Milwaukee? Well, well, Milwaukee has generally been good and better than you would assume for a team in that market in a way that we've said about Tampa, in a way that we've said about some other teams. And because of that, and because of the fact that he grew up a Mets fan in New York, and because of the fact that we know that Steve Cohen is desperate for somebody that's not Billy Epler, the, the connections have been made for years now. The New York newspapers have been putting David Stearns, have been manifesting this position for him for a long time now, even as the Mets have 
built the highest payroll of all time and then torn it all down and then gone back and forth. Uh, everyone still thinks that all Steve Cohn wants is David Stearns. Kiss already. Yeah, exactly. And so now, because the reporting regarding David Stearns' contract with the Brewers, uh, which is what we understand is that the Brewers could no longer deny him uh, permission to talk to the Mets starting on August uh, 1st of this year, it sounds like he has indeed taken that opportunity to talk to Steve Cohen, see how many bajillions of dollars he's willing to give him to run the team of his childhood. And it seems like that is the direction we are heading. The reports suggesting, oh, he's also talking to other teams. He's talking to the Astros. I don't, that makes no sense to me at all. I know he used to work in Houston. I don't know why Jim Crane, who like this whole turnover has been about getting rid of the nerds, would like desperately want to bring David Stearns back. That makes no sense at all to me, even if he had a previous relationship with him. So I'm sure that is just some sort of weird leverage ploy. All in all, will this probably happen? Yes. Is this going to change the fortunes of the Mets? Maybe, but I am pretty stunned at the degree to which this is being considered like the 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 answer like i i respect david stearns and appreciate the work that he's done too but i can't remember thinking that just like oh well if once you just get david stearns well then the mets will just be the dodgers it's like okay this is so 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 complicated (laughs) this is it's gonna take so long we talked about this when we praised the dodgers with steven nelson earlier this year there's so many people that go into making these organizations as strong as they are maybe david stearns is the leader that could get them in that direction I just, it's hard for me to believe he is the the secret sauce by himself. I kind of disagree with you. Okay. Which is, Chris, producer Chris, we need a Jake and Jordan disagree button. A very rare, like an okay. Eagles kind call, of. You, you, like you're, a, I'm, I'm excited to hear you're, you're, you, you seem kind of. It wasn't just like, you dumbass. So let's hear it. Well, let's no, because we have mutual respect. I mean, this yeah, is yeah. not second take. And it, yeah. <laughs> uh, here's the deal. Part of the reason the Dodgers are the Dodgers is because Andrew Friedman had a vision and Mm -hmm. understood the steps necessary to get to that place. Mm -hmm. Andrew Friedman, who was plucked from Tampa, where he was working with fewer resources than before and built a winner, albeit not a winner that actually won the whole thing. And that is the comparison I see, where David Stearns did something similar in Milwaukee, a place whose systems and programming and apparatuses have respect across the industry, right? Now, have they won? No. And is that because they're galaxy branding themselves out of signing talented players? Maybe. Is it because of the payroll? Maybe. Who's to say? I think David Stearns is someone with the vision. Will he be able to get the Mets there next year? No, he will not. Can he get them there in eight years? Maybe. I imagine that if we had been doing a podcast when the Dodgers hired Andrew Friedman and the Dodgers at that point, what had been good, they'd been good for a couple of years and they had spent a lot of money to go out and get older players, similar to what the Mets have done over the past couple of years. The difference is it worked for the Dodgers for whatever reason, because their old guys didn't get hurt or whatever. Right. But I imagine we would have said, well, I'm skeptical that just because Andrew Friedman is smart, he can turn the Dodgers into a juggernaut. Now I also want to say, It's not just copy-paste. You're right. There are a lot of other things that go into an organization besides the person at the top. And in I think part of what makes like Andrew Friedman good at his job is that he hires the right people. And we don't necessarily know if David Stearns is going to be able to do that in New York. Well, I think he's... 
Yeah. I, I just am a little bit more optimistic than you are about his ability to craft a vision for the Mets compared to Billy Epler, the current trigger man, who I think yeah. we both agree is not the guy for that job. Yeah. And I want to be clear. I, this is less about not believing in Stearns and more surprised at the degree to which it is being talked about as the, like, this is it. This is all we need. Uh, and, and I know it's not that simple, but at the same time, I agree. I think it will. it is a good, I, it, it would be, I would trust him to move them in the right direction. And I think that the way that they've kind of set themselves back on purpose gives him more room, more time, more space to build that up. Because before, when we were talking about this last year, last winter, I'm like, why the hell would David Stearns want to take on this roster that is continue, getting even more literally historically bloated? Right. Like, why would he want like and now that we've already started to pair that back, there's more wiggle room. And we mentioned, you know, oh, hiring other parts of the organization. We just saw the Mets fire a ton of people in the scouting uh, and player development kind of wings of their front office, which is kind of clearing space for David Stearns or whoever else. Probably David Stearns comes in to build that up. So I agree. And I think now that they've accepted that 2024 is probably not a year they're going to super contend. There's more room for him to build that up. And so I agree. Listen, this is not to criticize the move that may may or may not happen. It is just, I can't remember talking about a a front office official in this way that is, is is such a savior. Um, So I, but I mean, rooting for him, you know, he's a Jew. I also think the, why would he take the job? Sometimes the person is from place narrative is Mm -hmm. stupid. Mm-hmm. However, I think with front office people, it makes more sense. Mm. Like if if your wife, Jordan, was offered mm-hmm. a teaching job mm-hmm. within driving distance of either of your families, mm-hmm. that would probably be a more appealing option than living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which yeah. a city I like, right? Mm-hmm. And the same goes for most people. If you're close to your family, you like you probably want to live near them. And that's mm-hmm. no different for David Stearns, I would imagine. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree with that. And then all the stories about him, he was legitimately like a diehard Mets fan as a kid. And not just like, a, oh, yeah, I remember going to games. Like he was he was pretending to be the GM of the Mets when he was eight, right? So it's like <laughs> those those stories are great. I, I, I can't hate on those stories. Like those are hilarious. And, you know, if and when they hire him, I'm sure we'll be hearing about those all the time. And that's fantastic. But I love the idea I, of a young David. David Stearns with posters of Omar Minaya on his walls, <laughs> like with a shirt. This is, him. this is this is the dream. Uh, uh, one, let's yeah. take a quick break. Yes, I feel better. Hey, my vibes have have been boosted. Thank well, we you. Still, we still have time to for the for the for the good and the bad and the ugly to, to drag you down. Maybe we'll skip the bad just for your sake. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll hit on Steven Strasburg. Uh, give you some some tales from the yard. We were at the ballpark this week. Hit some call ups and uh, some more baseball stuff. Hit on Steven Strasburg, but Jordan, he's married. We'll talk to you in a second. This is former PGA Tour winner Smiley Kaufman, host of The Smiley Show, a SiriusXM podcast. You want to know what I love about golf? I get to talk to some really cool people. I get to walk the fairways of the best courses in the world with the best players in the world, and I get to share it with you every single week. Listen to The Smiley Show right now on Stitcher, Pandora, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Smiley, S-M-Y-L-I-E. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast, Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterin, a podcast 
about the sport of baseball. It's a beautiful Friday morning, but not for Steven Strasburg, mostly because his body is still in a lot of pain. Yeah. It's still a bummer. Steven Strasburg, retirement impending. We talked a lot about it a couple weeks ago on the show. Some news percolated out yesterday that his retirement press conference, his ceremony for the farewell was delayed or canceled or postponed in some manner. And there is a little bit of haze and lack of clarity around his uh, eventual retirement. You and I agree, Jordan, that this is somewhat much ado about nothing. Yeah, I think that when there was reporting about this and the contract, of course, which is a huge part of this conversation, like this is a complicated I, I imagine there's paperwork involved in this that is more complicated than the average retirement for very obvious reasons. And that being figured out is not like necessarily nefarious, I think is the best way to put it. Like it is obviously like there's really no incentive on either side, whether it's Steven Strasburg, the person, whether it's Steven Strasburg's agent, Scott Boris, who obviously has a great relationship with the Nationals and the ownership. There's no reason for this situation. This situation, like Steve Strasburg really being really hurt, not being able to pitch for the remainder of his bajillion dollar contract, is that that reality has been accepted from both sides, right? Clearly, that has not changed. And so the legality of the details, whether he gets pay, get paid all of it, all that stuff, that is being de- dealt with. That is not our business, to be completely honest. And super should not matter to anybody. And when people were tweeting and when this news first came out and being like, oh my God, he's going to get paid all this money. And he's gonna, like, I, great, good for him. He, why do you care? Like it just does not, could not possibly affect you any less. So I'm sure they're just trying to figure all the details of that out. The money is not a, like going to cancer research or hungry children. It either stays with a rich owner or it goes to a rich player. And so- Breaking our hands about where that money goes is perpetually a waste of all of our time. Quickly yep. on Strasburg, I want to talk about the Boris component here. Scott Boris, super agent extraordinaire, is the agent for Steven Strasburg. A month ago, when number two overall pick Dylan Cruz was introduced at Nats Park, his agent, Scott Boris, was there and teared up when talking about the recently deceased owner of the Washington Nationals, and about Scott Boris's relationship with the Washington Nationals. It is no secret that Scott Boris and the Nats have a close relationship with, you know, GM Mike Rizzo being a part of it. Scott Boris is not going to torpedo that relationship with the Nationals over Steven Strasburg. However, Scott Boris is going to try and get as much money as possible for his client, money that his client was guaranteed. And so because of that, This is going to take a little bit longer than we thought. However, it will not end in discord. It will not end with these two sides having vitriol towards one another. I cannot imagine that. I'll eat my words if I end up being wrong, but that's my feel on the situation. And yes, we've gotten some conflicting reporting about it over the last 24 hours. I would be very surprised if this ends with anything other than his number being retired in Washington. And that is all I have to say about it. Jordan? The end of the season is coming up. It is upon us. Thought it's a good time to check in on some of the milestones and records that we have discussed here during the season. And where better to start than Carlos Correa's race towards double play immortality? Tell me, tell me about this because 
This is, uh, I think we've hit on this. We hit on this in, in last week or the week before. Uh, Carlos Correa is still sitting at 29 GIDPs so far this season. And I understand, does that still have him on pace to set the all-time record? Or is he slowing down a little? I mean, quite literally slowing down a little bit. He's a tick below the pace. The all-time record is Jim Rice, who had 36 double plays in 1984, and then followed that up with 35 the year later. Incredible, legendary run from Jim Rice going 29, 31, 36, 35 in a four-year stretch. That will never be topped. That's just magnificent stuff. Correa at 29 has a chance to surpass, I guess what you would call like the wild card era record, mm-hmm. which I believe is 32 double plays grounded into. It has been, every time he does it, it's worth listening to the Twins broadcast. Just the absolute demoralization of, oh, here's another <laughs> hit, Barry Bonds. Uh, I also noticed I was thinking about this when I was seeing the Mariners and Reds earlier this week because Ty France had seven double plays grounded into in August, and he is second behind Correa at 24. I thought I saw him get 25. It was overturned on replay. That's mm. another thing. I wonder how many – has Correa had any overturned that like in a past era – would or wouldn't have been like Jim Rice. Like, I guess I'm wondering is how many of Jim Rice's double plays was he actually safe? <laughs> like that's, that's uh, maybe something uh, to, to consider there. But anyway, we are certainly watching that closely. Another milestone, which I mentioned, I think for my ugla earlier this year is Ronald Acuna is still on pace to have let off every single game for the Atlanta Braves this season. Part of Acuna's incredible MVP campaign for me is that he has played in every game. This is a player whose leg exploded a couple of years ago and had a couple other injury concerns earlier on in his career for which he missed time. And now he is just on the Atlanta Braves, you you play every day plan. He would be only the fifth or sixth player to lead off every single game for a team all 162 in the integration era. Which is really amazing to think about, considering how dudes used to just play every day. Not every day. And also, like, when you're playing, when you're the leadoff guy, you're having more opportunities to get injured, to get hit by pitch, to get hurt while you're on the bases. Like, you are playing the most baseball uh, in a lot of senses. And so that is a testament to his commitment to being ready to play every day, and uh, I, I love it. And, and by the way, I'm actually glad you brought this up because this is a topic I, I've been kind of thinking about as the postseason approaches. The Braves are going to have everything clinched probably by – I mean, I know it seemed like the Dodgers were maybe pushing them for the one seed, but the Dodgers are now dealing with some issues. Like, If the Braves have everything clinched with 10 days to go, I will be fascinated to see if him or any of them sit. I don't think it will happen, but it is one of those things that like in basically any other scenario or any other team, you would expect guys to start taking days off. I'm very curious about that. I would, I could see Acuna getting a day at DH, Mm -hmm. which by the way, he has not done this year. Oh, that's, I didn't realize that. Okay. Wow. Acuna has started in right field and bat and hit first every single Braves game in 2023. Wow. It's pretty just amazing. 
Yeah. So we'll so we'll keep an eye on that one because I am I am curious about that. I know that you know with the one seed you you have that whole first week off. So um, you know before the playoffs. So maybe that would be enough for us. But I I am just I hope not. I, I want to see him obviously keep playing, but we'll see. Dude, the Braves are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I know this is not news to anybody, but like, are you aware that like? This I mean, Olsen and Riley are the other two. Olsen and Riley, they have also played every game, mm-hmm. but neither of them have DH'd. Oh, I assume. <laughs> yeah. So they're three for three. They're, they have, I think, three because Suarez finally got a day off. Um, and I believe Freddy's played every game. And I think there's one more. Uh, Semyon. Semyon's played every game, I think, at second base. So, yeah, it's, 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 it is. I mean, it's great because, like, in some ways, do I wish more players were like this? Sure, of course. But then, you know, it makes you appreciate the ones who are still doing it. Uh, you said Marcus Semyon has played every game. Is that 100% true? Because if that is true, I believe he has also let off every single game. Has he let? I don't know if he's let off every game. I'm pretty sure he's played yes. second every single game. He has let off and played second base every single game. So he and Acuna are on the same okay. tilt here. <laughs> so Semyon was quietly doing the exact thing Acuna was doing without you realizing. Um, that's very funny. Yes, that's I knew crazy. Sem- I knew Semyon had played every game. Uh, this would be. I know the Rangers' season is kind of like tailspinning right now, but like there's a world where Rangers get hot again and like Acuna and Semyon make it all the way to the World Series. Having not missed a game and having met off every single game. And then they have to arm wrestle before game (laughs) seven to see who sits. Oh my gosh. That is, that is great. All right. So there you go. So we'll be, we'll, we'll be watching any other uh, milestones you want to hit on. Obviously we'll get back to Lance Lynn here at the end of the show. I mean, Andrew McCutcheon, 299 home runs and hurts himself. He earlier in that game or like the day before he hit a ball off the top of the wall in left field that looked like number 300, but yeah. had a little bit too much top spin. And he's done for the rest of the season. I love that he has come out publicly and said, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll be back. Like, I'm playing at Pittsburgh. I'm happy here. I love this place. I'm I mean, he anywhere. was, he was, uh, it was felt like much more of a story for the first, you know, month and a half when the Pirates were good, but he was everything you could have possibly hoped for, truly. I mean, he had. Before he went down, you know, 111 OPS plus. He was walking a ton. Honestly, more power than I would have expected. And you can only imagine how much of a positive impact he made. I know everything kind of went to shit, but I'm sure he made a huge impact on so many of those young players um, in that in that clubhouse. So I'm sure he'll be back in some form. 100%. All right. Uh, Jordan. Yes. Thoughts from the yard. We go to baseball games. I've said this on the show before. There are people funnier than us. There are people with more insight, but no one combines mediocrity in both of those areas. And so we like to let you know when we see interesting things at the ballpark this week, you laid eyes on Reds Mariners, yeah. your two favorite baseball teams. Tell <laughs> yeah. me what you saw. Yeah, it was uh, an interesting uh, couple games. I didn't stick around for most of, of the second one, but I was there for the first one. Probably the Mariners worst loss of the year. So good to stick around for that one. Uh, but yeah, the Reds are just in such a state. This is this is maybe a good way to describe where the Reds are at right now. Um, their clubhouse has so many lockers that have people there because of how many injuries, because of how many call-ups. They had a COVID spike 
last week that in, that impacted like half their their rotation, their pitching staff. So like there's more lockers filled right now. Like it almost feels like spring training because normally there's like at least and they're a pretty big clubhouse. Normally there's at least like five to ten lockers that are untouched because you have the veterans that have two lockers. We're squeezing, and then you got the waiver claims, right? So we're squeezing in Renfro and Bader. You have all these guys that are injured. You have all these emergency call-up pitchers who have to get smushed together. That's kind of where they're at. At the same time, with you know the the win that they had, the, the walk-off win earlier this year, they, you know they won the series against Seattle. Like they just don't care. Like they still are playing with a, a level of kind of youthful naivety in a good way, where they're just they don't know any better. Like they're just going out there trying to win. I don't know if it's going to be enough. They only have um, three games left this year against the team over 500, and it's at home against Minnesota. So the schedule is in their favor as well. So just keep an eye on Cincinnati. I have no idea what to expect because I have no idea who's going to play or pitch for them on any given day. But they they're gonna they're gonna hang in there. It's really been impressive. The Tigers were in New York this week, and I saw them two of the three games against the Yankees. Mm-hmm. That's a sad situation, buddy. <laughs> oh, yo, it's yeah. like, yeah, Miguel Cabrera yeah. and Javi Baez are having a bummer off <laughs> where it's like, which of these two things makes me more sad? And I think the answer is pretty firmly Javi Baez. Yeah. He just looks disinterested. And mm-hmm. it, it's you got to remember what this guy was, man. He was magic. He was lightning. He was sex. He was he- like it. He was on the cover of the show like he was just unbelievable and now he is like lethargic and uninspiring and he's still just, making defensive plays like every couple of weeks where you're like oh there he is that that's the guy but obviously on offense it's not not happening um and so yeah you know they have some of these younger hitters but i think the difference is like and torque is capable of hitting a homer where you're like oh my god but a big difference between, again, contrasting them with the Reds, right? The Reds have, when you got Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McClain and some of these, like, really fun younger players who are, you want to go watch. Like, the Tigers, like, they do have some good young players. I really like Riley Green. I really do believe in him. And Carpenter's been good. But they're guys who are, like, excited to pay to see. Not not really right now. Fortunate to physically see Miggy in person in the yeah. last year. It. We should do a whole episode on him in the offseason, just appreciating his greatness. But laying eyes on him was pretty wild. Speaking of laying eyes on stuff, Jason Dominguez, dude, it's crazy. Like, he is Adley Rushman style wide, but four feet shorter. Sorry, four (laughs) inches shorter. Eh, Four feet shorter. He's right. I mean, so I think he's listed at 5'9", like, which I believe. I And like, but like, think about that. Like, that's not, when you think about, the, you know, stereotypical tooled up, uh, high profile international prospect. He is that he's just really small, <laughs> but not small. He's just really short. And and honestly, dude, like it's freaking yo in assessment. It's like, yo is always probably shorter than what he was ever listed at. And like, when you see him in person, that is another takeaway. I, I always remember thinking when I saw him in person, it's like, that is not a tall guy, but my God, is he ripped. And when he was of course healthy, like he can move. Yeah, if Jason Dominguez was born in Texas, he'd be on the Seattle Seahawks. Like, it's not (laughs) that complicated. Um, Let's do good, bad, and ugly now. Let's do it. Let's just hop right into it. I'm going to start. Um, This is a weird one, admittedly. 
my good oh let's actually explain the good the bad and the ugly one more time (laughs) the good one thing good the bad one thing bad the ugla one thing a little bit bizarre just like dan ugla and my good this week is nick ahmed Ooh, I did want to talk about him. And this is good. Let's let's fold in uh, Nick Ahmed to the, the Jordan Lawler call-up here. Um, because the good, the excitement around Jordan Lawler, one of baseball's top prospects, getting called up, got his first hit, made an amazing defensive play last night in Wrigley Field. There was another sign of that transaction, as there always is with a call-up. But this one was particularly kind of important and said a lot about where the Diamondbacks are as an organization. So yes, talk about Nick Ahmed. Nick Ahmed was the longest tenured Diamondback. He made his debut with the team in the big leagues in 2014. He has been on the roster, the only player still on the roster for all of manager Tori Lavilla's tenure in Arizona. And they DFA'd him this week. They interviewed Ahmed after the game, after he got DFA'd. He was clearly emotional, crying, tears in his eyes. And it's a bummer because it is the correct decision. He is not the player he once was. Injuries have sapped his ability in the field, and he was never particularly dynamic at the plate. However, the reason I'm putting this in good is because so often we get force fields from professional athletes unwilling to open up and show what actually matters to them. And to see Nick Ahmed, a guy from Connecticut, Mm -hmm. crying about being done in Phoenix was particularly revealing and meaningful. And like, that's the point of the whole thing, right? That's the point why we wake up every day is to forge connections with people, with places, with organizations, with groups, with community. And Nick Ahmed did that. And while he may not be there to see the Diamondbacks reach the postseason this year, if they do, or next year, or the year after, he succeeded in creating meaning for himself and for the fan base. And for that, I I give him a hearty huzzah. Absolutely. And I mean, not just the longest tenured Diamondback. I mean, he's one of the longer, like quietly one of the longer tenured players in the league in terms of one team uh, since coming over from Atlanta, who originally taken him in the second round. He was traded to Arizona in January of 2013, 10 years ago, in that big, weird Justin Upton, Randall Delgado, Brandon Drury uh, bonanza. So fun fun stuff there. But yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Also, two-time Gold Glover, still was a pretty good defender this year. The bat totally disappeared. Him hitting 19 home runs in 2019 is, that's a top five juice ball season. My goodness. Uh he <laughs> and he led the league in sack flies that year too. Amazing, Nick Ahmed. We salute you, Jordan Lawler. Very excited to watch him. That's a good example where, like, if you're a D-backs fan, it's like, oh, I mean, respect Nick Ahmed, but I'm way more excited to watch Jordan Lawler. My good this week is related to a piece we wrote uh, that at Fox Sports debating what reliever would you like to have in the in the if you needed to get three outs tonight. Who would you take in a one-run game? And we debate a lot of guys. We threw in a lot of names, a lot of closers, whatever. And I'm sure we were doing the same searches uh, as each other, trying to find, oh, who's the best at this, best strikeout rate, best this, best this. And I feel like we need to shout out a guy that we did not mention in our story, but has is having an amazing season. Do you know who I'm going to say, Jake? I do not. It is Tanner Scott. 
And Tanner Scott, who I believe is currently second in baseball in reliever F4 behind Felix Bautista, you can check me on that, has been marvelous for the Miami Marlins. And the Marlins pitching staff, of course, we focus a lot about on the young pitchers and you know the, the prospects and some of the guys they've gotten in trades. And this is one of them. And Tanner Scott was like pretty good last year in his first year in Miami after the Orioles traded him with Cole Sulzer to the Marlins uh, at the very beginning of last season. This is this is a rare L for Mike Elias. And now I know that they got a couple young prospects. One of them looks to be having a nice season in relief, but like in A ball. Tanner Scott, who was certainly maddening in Baltimore at times, but had his his flashes of of brilliance. For him to be figuring out to this degree, he has truly been one of the best relievers in baseball and, and a huge part of the Marlins, you know, one run magic. So I just gotta I just gotta shout him out. I mean, you know, two, three, three ERA is one thing, but he's real he's basically slashed the walks in half. They it's really as simple as they figured out how to get Tanner Scott to throw strikes, and the stuff was never in question, and now he's one of the best relievers in the league. So Tanner Scott is good. You know what's bad? It's bad. Roger Clemens is on Twitter. <laughs> Roger Clemens is on Twitter for no reason. Roger Clemens is entering the Magic Johnson-style Twitter account where you just say the things that are happening and offer no particularly interesting insight. On top of that, Roger Clemens is falling into the trap that social media has gone down where it's just, here's the thing that's popular, related prompt. What do you think? And then everyone just quote tweets it just for engagement. Roger Clemens yesterday tweeted out, NFL season kicks off tonight. Who wins the championship this year? Hashtag NFL. Who we don't need that. Why is society thirsty for this type of thing? Who wins the championship? Who, That's who what he calls said. the football championship? That is bizarre. That is so strange. Is he, unless he's talking about college. I don't even make. Is he talking about college football? No. He said that yesterday. I. Oh, but this is another thing. And we, we say this with Magic Johnson. We say this with just like. Is this really, is this Roger? And if it isn't, why is this account existing, right? So I think it's part Roger. Here's a tweet that definitely shows you it's not only Roger. Okay, let's settle this. I wore many uniforms during my career. Which one do I belong in the most? Vote and quote, he says. Vote and quote. There's no way Roger Clemens is using vote and quote. Zero chance. And then it's Red Sox, Blue Jays, Yankees, Astros. I'm voting for Blue Jays. Ooh, last place. Um... Have a safe Labor Day, my friends. Like, okay. Now, the reason I do know this is Roger Clemens in part is because you just got to go through the likes, man. Mm. Just go through like the likes. He, and- he's at least logged in. Even if he's not posting, he is at least scrolling at the very least. I think I agree with that. He has access. Because there is no way that the social media company he hired to help him is liking tweets from Lauren Boebert. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Unless they think this is good for the brand. <laughs> it's just it's possible. Just like, we just don't need this. We just don't. I, it's so funny. It's a great follow because it's so pointless. It like, does so he think pointless. he's trying to like curry favor so he can get into the Hall of Fame? Like, I'm just, what's the play? I guess it's just money. Like he's probably hawking some product. So. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Eventually we'll start promoting stuff. Yeah, that's that I think is the right solution. Uh, all right, Jake. Uh, it's a good transition. Do you know? Is, is Jake, it? Is it really? It is. It's. <laughs> I mean, it's not. But I am going to make it one. Uh, Roger Clemens 
pitched for a long ass time. 24 seasons in the big leagues, seven Cy Youngs. He was pretty good. Jake, do you know the most home runs Roger Clemens ever allowed in a season? You want to take a guess? I will say 27. Nicely done. 26 in 2000 with the Yankees when he finished sixth in Cy Young. Only and allowed. That is, and that is because Roger Clemens, even though he was really good, was still throwing a lot of fastballs in an era where everybody was juiced out of their minds. Yes. But that, you know, per nine, his home run per nine was still 1.1. That was a career high. He only allowed more than 20, 20 or more home runs in five of his 24 seasons. Okay. And with, again, the, the highest home run per nine rate that he had was 1.1. For his career, it was 0.7. Lance Lynn is not doing that <laughs> this season. As we mentioned earlier, the home run king indeed. Lance Lynn, who had some marvelous, a marvelous start to his Dodgers tenure, has since reverted to his White Sox form in epic fashion at the worst possible time. And while you were well aware of this, I am not sure if you saw the quote that he gave after he got to 40 home runs, which I just want to banter about this, okay? Yeah. Lance Lynn, quote, once he basically was asked like, hey, 40 home runs, wow, that's, that's a lot of home runs. He goes, How about quote, that, Lance? How about that? Quote, once you go over 30, who gives a shit? It's been the, <laughs> it's been the worst of my career home run-wise. Bad pitch selection, bad execution, Everything that could go bad has gone bad. And that is why it is in my bad because Lance Lynn told me it was bad. 40 home runs in a season is so stunning. It is only the 10th time this century a pitcher has done it. Most recently, Mike Leak, 2019, Dylan Bundy, 2018. If you're looking if Irvin Santana did it, the answer is no. Because <laughs> Santana, I think he peaked at like 37 or 38. James Shields, 2016. Uh, with the White Sox in the same year that he was traded for Fernando Tatis Jr. That's amazing. Bronson Arroyo, of course, 46, one of the high watermarks. But Jake, the record is 50. Burt Blylevin in 1986 allowed 50 home runs, but he threw 271 innings. It's a lot. That I don't think as many as many innings as Lance Lynn likes to munch on. I don't think he's getting there. However, Lance Lynn's rate of 2.3 home runs per nine innings is currently the record for a qualified starting pitcher in Major League Baseball history. And so if he keeps giving up a pair or more in his last, he probably has four starts left. Uh, he will be, as you mentioned, the home run king. But in Lance Lynn's, this is really what I wanted to talk about. What is your takeaway from the quote, once you go over 30, who gives a shit? <laughs> I would mean? argue that Lance Lynn doesn't give a shit at all. Like for him, each additional home run, he does not. Lance Lynn is not someone who gives a shit what other people think. True. But what is that? I, I think the takeaway here, like the real insight in this quote is that 30 home runs is the number where it's like the mm. season is lost. Like that seems to be a number that he is saying that as a starting pitcher, we are trying to avoid. 40 is not never even in your brain, right? That should never even be possible. So very few pitchers get to pitch enough to, to you know, allow those that many home runs. Um, but, but yeah, also it's worth mentioning Jordan Lyles is at 35 this year, so he could potentially get to 40 as well. But, uh, but yeah, but hey, once you go over 30, who gives a shit? I like thinking about that in an offensive context. 
Oh, you hit 30 homers? I I always stop counting. Who gives a shit? <laughs> uh, my ugla is something I witnessed at the yard yesterday. Okay. And I would like to get your take on it. George Lombard Jr. was a draft pick this past year by the New York Yankees. Yes, first George Lombard's dad, Mm -hmm. George Lombard Sr., or I guess just George Lombard, is the bench (laughs) coach for the Detroit Tigers. The Tigers were in town to play the Yankees. Yesterday, I overheard George Lombard Sr. say to someone with the Tigers, let me know if Judge comes over to this side of the dugout, I want to talk to him. I assume George, you know, has met Judge before and he just want to introduce himself and whatever. But he said, I don't want to go over to their side. This is during batting practice. I don't want to go over to their side. Let me know if he comes over here. And this is a thing that I have heard and seen and felt about batting practice, that there is a faux pas for players and managers of one team to like venture to the other side of the field to look for specific people to say hi or talk to them. And that the only way baseball people are interacting is if they happen to see one another from across the field or they meet behind the batting. They meet in the middle. Outfield. Yep. Is this something that you have witnessed as well? Um. So you're, you're to be clear, you're talking specifically about coaches, right? Not... Like more coaches than players. Yeah. Yes. So I, I do agree when you do think about when those interactions happen, um, they are almost always behind the cage or there's an acknowledgement that there's definitely like, uh, you know, a, a, a neutral zone in the middle where you can, you can connect. A DMZ. You would never, you would very rarely see someone with a different Jersey leaning on the railing of an opposing dugout. You would not let alone in a dugout. Right. That is a great point. You really do not see that. Have I heard about it as like a an expressed concern? No, that is very interesting. But but what is is it? Do you think this has to do with seeing game plans, seeing stealing signs? Like I I'm I'm curious about. It. I mean, I think we should just start asking around because I I'm now super curious about this. But this is this is a good interesting thing. It's just like don't don't go in someone else's house unannounced. Yeah. No, I think no. it is probably that simple, right? But players, you see, yeah, I guess they're more concerned about. That's interesting because you'll see players. Well, this was a really cool interaction. This was a couple weeks back uh, when I saw the the Blue Jays in Toronto or in Toronto, Blue Jays in Cincinnati, and Barrios had pitched really well uh, one of those days, and Votto, after had facing him, like came over before the next game. Like to clearly like break down his own at bat against Barrios with Barrios. He had like summoned him out of the dugout and he was just like standing right in front of the Blue Jays dugout and I could just hear oh. them just like talk. It was it was delightful, right? Vado doesn't give a shit. Yeah, obviously. he's obviously he, he can go wherever the hell he wants. <laughs> no one's gonna tell him, hey Joey, you can't stand right. there. But but I, I do as far as coaches go, it's it's an interesting thought. And George Lombard, who seems like an incredibly nice yes, dude, talking very, to him yes. a bit yesterday. He dude. With all due respect, Aaron Judge is not wandering by the visiting dugout. Like, that's not happening. You're going to have to go find the big man yourself. That's for damn sure. Jordan, what's ugly for you? My ugly is related to independent ball. All right, Jake. I'm just going to read to you some OPSs in the Atlantic League. All right? (laughs) Sure. Okay. Uh, 784. uh, Alejandro Daza has a 784 uh, OPS. 
Ruben Tejada also has a 784 uh, OPS. Jimmy Paredes has a 791 OPS, okay? Uh, Trayvon Robinson, an 812 OPS. Very impressive. Daniel Murphy, we know he's been there, 861. I think he ended up He retired. I think he's done. Oh, he's done now. Okay, sorry. But he was hitting hitting quite well um, for the Long Island Ducks. 792. You know who OPS that belongs to, Jake? Uh, Ron DeSantis. In (laughs) 200 plate appearances? Stephen Brault. Stephen Brault. Stephen Brault. The former pitcher of the Pittsburgh Pirates and, and more recently Chicago Cubs converted full time to an outfielder and is because of all of his shoulder issues that forced him to stop pitching and is hitting 283, 327, 465 in what I believe is the best independent league uh, in America. So, what team is he on? He is on the Spire City Ghost Hounds. Formerly the Frederick Keys. Now they are the worst team in the league, which is unfortunate. But uh, Stephen Brault is just raking, and I love it for Stephen Brault because he's one of uh, my favorite baseball people that I've met over the years. You might recall him as the guy who sung the national anthem on multiple occasions before the game. He is uh, quite a, a musically gifted person, but he is also a hitter. He was a two-way player at Division Two Regis in Colorado, where he was one of the best hitters uh, at that level and he has uh, i think a couple major league home runs and now he's just raking an indie ball and it makes me happy so i'm happy for you Stephen brawl i'm glad you got to this is not a gimmick he's like well i can't pitch anymore so i'll just go hit love it love i it might need to go watch that yeah. <laughs> yeah i know i just uh i just saw him on our instagram and i knew that he would i i knew that he was doing this but i had no idea how it was going and i was like holy shit he's doing pretty well so there you go Stephen brawl very ugly Jordan, anything else you'd like to cover before we say goodbye? Uh, we'll hit on, uh, you know, we'll see how Jordan Lawler's first weekend, Evan Carter getting called up for Texas. The Adolis Garcia injury is no bueno. Um, but besides that, we will we will head into the weekend. Uh, series you're looking forward to uh, this weekend. We got a couple interesting opportunities that are already underway. The Mariners uh, at a four-game, massive four-game series in Tampa Bay. Uh, we also have the Diamondbacks again. That is a four-game set at Wrigley Field. Guardians at Angels. Not planning on watching any of those games as long as Shohei Otani is not playing. Uh, but yeah, any other series you're excited about this weekend? Padres Astros is a series that at the beginning of the season we would have picked out and said that's going to be sick. September eighth, oh, yeah. Padres Astros. Yes. What this I agree. will really be? The Astros coming off a beatdown of the Texas Rangers in Arlington, going back home, hosting the Padres. I think this will be the end for oh, the yeah. Padres. After this weekend, we will say no mas. <laughs> stop dreaming. I will go on Ben and Woods on San Diego radio on Monday and I will empty the clip. How many times have we buried them this year, man? It's crazy. It's great. It's um, great. The flip side of that is the Giants who are also they're on an L6. Home against Colorado. If you can't win these games, sorry, we're gonna we're gonna bury you as well. But the real the, the series by far that I think has the highest you know stakes is Marlins at Phillies. Uh, Marlins trying to hang around there. Sandy Alcantara, Jorge Soler just went on the IL, so that sucks for them. But they're playing really well. Jazz has been phenomenal lately. Very excited to see what he can do. I could see him hitting some homers in Philadelphia and pissing some people off. So excited for that series. Definitely gonna lock in for that one. But. Uh, until Monday, thank you all for listening. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. As always, send us your merch ideas. You can get merch. That link is in the description as well. Thank you to Chris Tyler 
for producing. Thank you, Jake Mintz, for co-hosting. Uh, we hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. Shabbat Shalom, uh, Chris Tyler. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you all very, very, very soon. Bye-bye. Serious XM Podcasts.